just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity we have to come before you and to worship you. We ask that you will guide and lead us as we study this section, that we, as we continue the story, story of Micah and his Levite. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Just real quick, I wanted to show you that Dan, who is going to be the character tribe of our character, is off to the right next to the Mediterranean Sea. It's in that light green on the map that I've shown you. Um, the area that we've been talking about is right in the northern part of Judah, which is the story uh, that we were covering yesterday, uh, last week about Micah. And so Judah is this great big yellow tribe here. But I just wanted to get you a feel for what we've, what we've got. Because Dan's later on is going to be mostly in the northern part of the, of the country. And uh, they did not conquer their territory, as we're going to see today. Uh, so we're going to look at this starting in Judges chapter 18. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And in those days, the tribe of Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in. For until that day, all their inheritance had not fallen them among the tribes of Israel. And the children of Dan sent their family, five men from their, from their coast, men of valor, from Zorah and from Estol, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said unto them, Go search the land, who, when you come to Mount Car uh, Ephraim, to the house of Micah, they lodged there. And when they came to Mount Ephraim in the house of Micah, they lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they knew the voice of the young man, the Levite, and they turned in thither and said to him, Who brought you here? And what make you of this place? And what have you here? And he said unto them, Thus and thus de dealeth Micah with me, and hath hired me, and I am his priest. And they said unto him, Ask counsel, we pray you of God, that we may know whether our way whether our way which we shall go is prosperous. And the priest said unto them, Go in peace before the Lord is your way wherein you go. All right. So we remember the last verse of the chapter 17. It said, Then said Micah, Now know I that the Lord will do good, seeing that I have a Levite to priest. And remember, he has a idol a whole house full of idols, a whole bunch of idols. He's, you know, originally made his son his, his priest, and then he's had this Levite come along, and he goes, hey, why don't you be my priest? And the Levite decided to abandon God, basically, and, and be Micah's priest. All right, so this sets our stage, because we're going to see more about Micah and this priest as we go along. And then, and verse, uh, chapter 18 starts with the same thing that we had in verse 17. In this day there was no king in Israel. So we're coming close to the ending of the reign of the judges. All right? And it's reiterating there is no king, so people are pretty much doing what they want to do. Kind of like our country is starting to do on its own. You know, that there seems to be nobody ruling it in many cases, and, and anarchy is starting to, to run. But it, and it also goes in that the Danites had not received their inheritance. In other words, they had not gone to the north part of the country and conquered it. Because they were given the north part of Israel. And you see later maps, they'll, you'll, they'll show you Dan up at the top part of the... Yep, Dan. So they had not, they were one of the tribes that just did not get all of their territory. And it wasn't that they weren't assigned it. 
It's just that they hadn't gone out and conquered. And if you remember the end of, end of the book of Joshua listed a whole bunch of tribes that had not com completed, completely conquered their territories. And Dan is one of those that doesn't, doesn't conquer their territory. So they're out there in the, by the Mediterranean Sea and they decide to send five spies into Israel to find some place that has not been taken over that, that is going to have people that are going to be easy to take over. Okay, and this is kind of an interesting scene because this, this is the way a lot of Christians act. God, I want to do something for you as long as the enemy's not going to fight back and there's no battle and there's no problems. I'll do anything you want, anything you want me to do as long as there's no hardship involved. Well, this is what the Danites are doing. God, we can't conquer our area, so we're going to wander around Israel until we find some place that we can conquer real easy. And, you know, it's kind of a bizarre thing. It sends, it send, they send five spies not to spy out their territory, but just to go find something they can conquer real easy. Mount Ephraim on this particular map is, if you go from Bethlehem, and you go east, and it's not on this map. It's right above, right above Beth she Shemesh, uh, and between Zorah and Be Beth Shemesh. Okay, so it's not on this particular map I gave you. But it's right there in that, in that area, just to the very northern part of Judah. All right, so these guys are going out. They get into Mount Ephraim, and they basically go into the house of Micah. Now in that day, and even to this day in the Middle East, if you show up at somebody's house, even if you're an enemy, if you show up at their house and you stay the night, you are treated as a guest. So these people show up at Micah's house, and not saying they're enemies, but you know they show up at his house and he puts them up in true fashion of their day, and he will care for them and protect them and feed them, and treat them with great honor. And they get there and they, and they recognize, for some reason, they recognize the voice of a Levite. I don't know if there's some dialect that goes along with being a Levite or not, but they recognize that this guy is a Levite. And they talk to him and he tells them, well, you know, I'm here because, you know, this is the deal that Micah made. And if you remember the deal that Micah made, he's going to pay him 10 shekels and he's going to give him clothes and he's going to give him food and a place to stay. Not a bad deal. All you have to do is give up God and, and, and be the leader of the idols, uh, for the idols. So not a bad deal. He's got a good, good deal, and he gives them their, his, his spiel. And so they go, okay, you're a Levite. Pray for us. Pray to God. And you're going to recognize Dan, the tribe of Dan, all through the scriptures, worships idols. Okay? And it's going to start right here in this book of, of, of Judges. And all the way through until the day that they are captured, they are part of the center of idol worship. When the kingdom split and the northern kingdom goes, the city of Dan, way up in the north, is one of the places where they put a golden calf to worship. The king puts a golden calf there, and he puts a golden calf uh, down, in, down close to Jerusalem. Because, and his reasoning was that he didn't want the people going to Jerusalem to worship. Because Jerusalem and Benja, uh, was in Judah and Benjamin. And so he goes, I don't want my people going into the southern kingdom to worship God. So we're going to establish 
uh, idol worship, and Dan is one of the places where an idol is placed throughout the southern uh, northern kingdom's time. Wasn't that started by Aaron originally? Well, uh, calf worship. Gold calf gold. worship goes back to all the way back to uh, Nimrod. So, but it was also a very big part of the worship of I I Egypt. Egypt worshipped Ra, and golden calf worship was part of the worship of Ra. So golden calf has gone back forever, or not forever, but, but they just long term. They on. And they're going to continue, and they're going to continue that process. So they go to the priest, and the priest says, go your way before the Lord. The Lord is your way wherein you go. So he says, this Levite, who is leading the worship of false gods in Micah's house, decides to speak for God. And I don't know whether his message was from God or not, or if he just spoke for God, but he says that God is going with you. And I don't understand. I really don't understand. I don't understand this Levite. I don't understand what's going on. Um, maybe this Levite still thinks he can speak for God, even though he's been in, in sin of, of idol worship. But, you know, I've heard this oftentimes, many times as Christians. They're not living a Christian life, but they'll tell you God told them to do something or uh, God is leading me to do this. God is leading me to do this. And this is this priest. Okay, I'm supposed to be able to speak for God. They asked me to, to speak for God. I'm going to say Go. And whether God said it or not, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, because when we see the consequences of this, I do not believe that God was in the midst of this commandment to go. And uh, Mike, Micah and his Levite are being nice. They're being nice to people. They're doing what they're supposed to. Verse 7, Then the five departed and came to Lashes, and saw the people that were therein, and they dwelt care, that they dwelt carelessly after the manner, man, manner of the Zidonites, quiet and secure. And there was no magistrate in the line that that put that might put them to shame in any in anything. And they were far from the Zidonites and had no business with them. And they came unto their brethren of, to Zorah and Istrar, and their and their brethren said unto them, What say you? And they said, Arise, that we may go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is good, and we are, and we are still, and are we still? Be not slothful to go, but enter and possess the land. When you go, you shall possess a people secure in a large land, for God hath given it into your hands, a place where there is no want or anything that is in the earth. All right, so they spy out this land. And they talk about the Zidons, which are way north of the map I gave you. It's in, up by Tyre, okay, uh, which is way north of this map. I, nope, nope, that's right there, Tyre. So Zidon is just north of Tyre. But they went up there and they found somebody that w was of the Zidonite family, but not close enough to them to be protected by them, living in ease. That's what it says. They were secure. They were just living with no guard, no government, really. They just had a nice place with, you know, and they were getting along and no, no problems. They, they didn't have a magistrate. You know, and this is what they're saying. All these things. They, in other words, they're going to attack a people that are extremely peaceful. All right? These people are at peace. No, they're, they're so much at peace that they don't even need a government to run their run their valley, their city, whatever it is, and the 
Levite has told them, well, go, God is with you. So they go out and they find this land. What was, what was the Danites looking for? They were looking for someplace where nobody dwelt or, as they found, somebody that was dwelling with no, no guard, no protection, didn't fear the, anybody around them because they weren't, they weren't being a problem to anybody. And they go and find these people and come back to their people in Zoar and Esteloth, which is where I showed you where Dan is. And they said, let us go up against these people. <laughs> We're going to go up against these people. They have good land. And let's not be slothful to go and possess this. We could go because the people in it are secure. It is a large land, and God has given it to us. Now, it wasn't Dan's land to take in the first place. <laughs> Okay, they were supposed to conquer their land and the section way up north, and they decide they're going to go and attack a people that's not part of their land, who's living securely in the tribe that they were, the, you know, in the tribal area that they were belonging in that hadn't conquered them but was living at peace with them. And all of a sudden, this tribe of Israel is going to go attack them without provocation, without any notification, they're going to attack these people and take their land. And this is, again, this is what it's talking about. There is no king in the land of Israel at this time. Everybody's doing what they want, okay? And Dan is not taking the land that was given. It's going up north and finding a land that they're just going to claim, you know, because there's because what's going to happen? Is another tribe going to complain to them? You know, if they do, they'll end up at war with each other. And we've seen various indications where, especially in Judges, where the tribes fought each other. And when we end this, in, in the book of Judges, we're going to see the tribes fighting each other. Because there is no king. There is no co co cohesive government over the land at this point in time. And people will do what they think is best for them when there's no ruler over them, which is why God established government. Okay? And every time we think about this, God established government because of man's sin. Okay? God, in, God created man. He created marriage. He created family. And then when man fell, he goes, okay, we need, they need government. They need somebody to rule over them and keep them in the right direction. Because without government, anarchy reigns. And when everybody does what they think is best, then everybody gets hurt. Because what's best for you usually isn't good for everybody else. Or at least what you think is best for you isn't always good for everybody else. Uh, and this is something that is very serious. And we see this. They found a city. They go, we found a great place to live. Okay, No big deal. It belongs to somebody, but we'll just take it from them. They don't have anything. They don't have a government. They don't have a, a protection. So they find this place. And it doesn't really tell us where this place is. It just tells us that they're of the Zidonite family. So it's you know, somewhere north of where they're at, but not close enough south, uh, north to, to be part of them. They, these people have moved away. Verse 11. And they went from thence, the family of Danites, out of Zorah and out of Estra, 600 men appointed with weapons of war. And they went up and pitched in Kirjah-Zerarim in Judah. And therefore they call the place Jahanidan unto this day. Behold, it is behind Kirjah-Jerarim. And they passed thence to, unto Mount Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. 
And then answered the five men and went to spy out the land of Lahish and said unto his brethren, Do you know that there, there is in this house of an ephod and a teraphim and a graven image and a molten image? Now therefore consider what, what we have to do. And they turned it there toward and came to the house of the young man, the Levite, even into the house of Micah, and saluted him. And the 600 men appointed with their weapons of war, which were the children of Dan, stood by the entering of the gate. And the five men that went out to spy the land went in and came there and took the graven image and the ephod and the teraphim and the molten image. And the priest stood at the entering of the gate with the 600 men that were appointed with weapons of war. And these went into Micah's house and fetched the carved image of ephod, the teraphim, and the molten image, and said to the priest, what do you? And they said unto him, hold your peace, lay your hand upon your mouth, and go with us, and be to us as a father and a priest. It is better for you to be the priest unto the house of one, is it better for you to be the priest unto the house of one man, or that you be the priest unto a tribe and, and a family in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad, and he took the ephod and the teraphim and the graven images and went into the midst of the people. So they turned and departed and put the little ones and the cattle and the carriages before them. So we have this small army, 600 men. Apparently, they don't think it takes any more people to kill, to kill and destroy this uh, secure people. On their trip up, they stop and they camp at a, camp at a city, a, a place in Judah. And the name of the place is Kirjajarim, which means city of, for, of a forest. And they camped there, and they named it Camp of Dan. <laughs> now, these guys are pretty bold. <laughs> they're, they're renaming a city of Judah on their way up. Uh, so they're, they're out there. They're, they're moving along. And they totally rename a, a city where they're where they, where they going out. They pass Mount Ephraim. They come to the house of Micah. Now, poor Micah, remember the last thing he said in, in chapter 17 is, God has blessed me because I have a Levite. Everything is going to be good. <laughs> All right? And we see in that everything is not going to be good. He's an idol worshiper, and he's not following God, and his good luck charm is getting ready to leave him. The spy said, hey, in this, in this house, there's an ephod. We told you an ephod is a, is a clothing for, for a, a priest a teraphim, which is a household idol, a graven image, and a molten image, okay, so teraphim, multiple household gods. In other words, this guy's got a temple in here. He's got a temple full of gods, and what, what should we do now? What should we do now? The problem for them is that Shiloh, where the, where the Ark of the Covenant sits, is too far from them to travel. And if you look at your map, Shiloh, above Bethel. So this is where the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle has been set up. So they're really not that far from it. Okay, a day, day's trip away from being able to worship God. So what do they do? They decide to steal the idols. <laughs> the, the strange thing is, as we look at this, you know, it says these 600 men go in and the five go in. They take all this stuff and they basically dare the, the priest, the Levite, to say something. Okay, what are you going to do about it? There's 600 of us. What are you going to do about it? And, you know, the sad thing that we see amongst, our, amongst people so often is we end up trying to do things our way so often. When we're following God, oftentimes we'll try to do things our way instead of God's way. 
uh, and I've seen it over and over in time when I, I've done it in my own life and I counsel people, I'll hear people go, yes, but you know, that, that's not gonna work for me, it's not gonna be right for me. Uh, we have what's been called designer religion in, in our day and age where people will take and take the best parts of different religions and say, this is my religion and you'll, you'll find that they believe this part of Buddhism, this part of Hinduism, this part of the Muslim faith, this part of Judaism, this part of Christianity, and they mesh them all together and say, this is, my, this is what I believe. In other words, they make themselves God. They do what's right in their own eyes. They make themselves God. This is what they're doing. They're gonna say, well, you know, we're strong, we'll just take this guy's idols. And if, he, if his idols are, you know, but why would you want to do this? What, you know, if, his, if his idols were strong enough to bless him, he wouldn't have been able to take the idols, and yet they take the idols. Okay, it doesn't make any sense to me to have this be what they're doing, and yet they're going to do it. They're, they're going into Micah's house, stealing his idols, stealing his ephod, stealing his household gods, and ultimately... Theoretically, stealing his priest as well. <laughs> okay, they're, they're, they're going up to him and, uh, you know, saying, hey, you know, wouldn't it be better, instead of being just the priest and the, and the, le and the le leader of one house, how about if you be the priest and the leader of an entire tribe? We're taking the gods anyway, so you might as well come with us. And he chooses to follow them. You know, and it just makes me wonder what kind of man was this Levite, it never names him, but what kind of man was he that he would just abandon God? First he abandons God, now he's going to abandon Micah, who's given him a very good deal in his life. Also that he could be worshiping the same gods for an entire tribe, okay? And it's kind of a bizarre twist, but you know, again, it is human nature. What is in it for me is the, the way we normally think. What is, what is best for me? And this is why they went in the very beginning. There, was no, there is, was no king in Israel at this time, so people did what was right in their own eyes, and they just said, what was best for me? And we need to be very careful of that as Christians, that everything we do is based on what does God say to do, not what do I think is best. Because normally when we do, at least in my lifetime, in my experience, when I do anything that I think is best without consulting God and, and doing the word of God, I, make, I get into a big mess, no matter what it is. Uh, you know, and being the father and the husband of a household, when I get into a big mess, the family gets into a big mess. And this is what ends up happening with these people. They're going to make a big mess out of their life. They don't even know it. And yet, we've already talked about that the ramifications of this stealing of these idols is, at the very end of this, that they were idol worshipers for the rest of Israel's time. Okay? Uh, that's a long-term consequences. We're talking a thousand years later, the consequence that started way back here is still going on at the end of their time as a, as a nation. Sometimes our sin can have really long-term consequences, okay? We, and I say this all the time, sin has consequences. In our own life, sin has consequences. But sin can also have consequence in our family as we watch the bad decisions in our families and our children can have bad 
consequences. Our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and Dan is going to have this consequence that's going to last for almost a millennia, where his descendants are going to be idol worshipers throughout. Now, I'm not saying every single Danite was an idol worshiper, but that was the general feature of that tribe was that they were idol worshipers. That's a pretty severe consequence for, for the act that they had. And you know, we need to be very careful, and this is why we need to make sure our decisions are based in the word of God. And as we reach out to our children that they learn to make decisions based on the word of God. Because when you do things right, those can also have consequences, you know, and rewards for, for our family as well, that they learn to make godly decisions. They learn to, to follow God. And so we want to look at this. This picture has a huge consequence. As they get this, they steal all these idols out of Micah's house. They, they take, his, take his Levite, and now they think, it doesn't really say it, but they've got the same attitude that, that Micah had. Look how blessed we are. We have, we have a Levite leading, leading our worship. Okay? Now, they keep forgetting that this Levite is not worshiping God who he's supposed to be worshiping, but he's like, you know, it's almost like they've got this lucky charm. I've got my rabbit's foot. I have a Levite in my, and we have a Levite in our presence. And this was the way they were looked at. The, the Levites were special. They were chosen by God to serve God. And, you know, they did not have a choice to serve God. That was what they were supposed to do. So this Levite is choosing to serve God in his own way and not the way he's supposed to. He's supposed to be going to the tabernacle and worshiping and, and helping in the tabernacle on whatever times he's supposed to be there. Instead, as we saw in the last chapter, he's wandering around looking for work. You know, he's a prophet for sale, a little bit like Balaam. Okay, uh, I'm, a, I'm a priest for sale. I'm a man of God for sale. Just give me enough money and I'll tell you what you want to hear, which is exactly what he's done to the Danites. You know, give me enough and I will, I will leave. Oh, okay, you've got a whole tribe for worshiping? Okay, that must mean that I'm going to get three or four sets of clothes and I'll get more than 10 shekels of sil you know, silver a year and, and uh, you know, they're going to take care of me and feed me and I'll, be get I'll have a lot more people to minister. I'll have a, instead of a church, a really small church, I'm going to have thousands of people because I've got a whole tribe. Thousands of people to sell out God is not worth it. And we've got lots of churches out there that sell out God so that they can have large numbers of people. Don't preach the Bible, won't talk about sin, won't talk about Jesus Christ. They will just sell God for, for peanuts because they want the people. And that's what this Levite has done. Sold out God. He sold out God already for Micah. Now he's selling out Micah for a larger <laughs> congregation. And if some larger tribe had come along, he'd have sold them out. Because <laughs> he's just showing his colors and who he is. So... We want to keep everything based on, on God. And, and so they all leave, and, they, and they've got their little ones and, their, and carriages and cattle. So they're, they're doing a migration from where they were to this new place. Verse 22. And when they were gone, were a good way from the house of Micah, the men that were in the house near Micah's house were gathered together and overtook the children of Dan. And they, and they cried unto the children of Dan, and they turned their faces and said unto Micah, what ails you that you come after us with such a company? And he said, you have taken away my gods which I made and, and, and the priest 
and you are gone away, and what have I more, and what is this that you say, what ails thee? And the children of Dan said unto him, let not your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows run upon you, and you lose your life and the lives of your, of your household. And the children of Dan went their way, and Micah saw that they were too strong for him, and he turned and went back to his house. All right. Here's Micah. There's 600 men that steal his stuff. The, his neighbors report to him, you know, because his neighbors are probably worshiping at his, his uh, temple as well. And they go, hey, these guys took, you took the gods and they took your priest. So Micah gathers up however many people, his family, his house, his, his neighbors, all that, and goes after them. And they turn around and they, their first question when they look at him, they're not afraid of him. He doesn't have enough people to challenge their 600. And they go, what ails you? What's wrong with you? you know, uh, how many times has maybe that's been asked of you when you're trying to make somebody see something and do something that's right or make something right out of when they've done wrong? Well, what's wrong with you? you know, what, what's your issue? You know, what's your problem? You know, and that's what their attitude toward it. You know, what ails you? What's, what's your problem? Why, why are you chasing us? I think they knew who he was, especially the five spies. Okay, they're being chased. They just left this town where they've stripped it, basically stripped it of their, of their, their temple and their idols and all of this. And they're running, they're going away and they're wondering why they're chasing after him. You know, and they didn't wonder at all. They knew what was going on. Uh, you know, what's wrong with you? And, you know, his answer was such, you know, and it says that you come with us as, with such a company. I could almost hear the derision in this. Uh, you're chasing us with your little pathetic little group? You know, what's, what's wrong with you? Why, why would you even think about doing this? And, of course, Micah's upset. Okay? His household temple, whatever you want to call it, you know, his gods, his ephod, his, his household gods, his molten image. And remember, the molten image has 200 shekels of silver that, his that he stole from his mom and then he gave back to his mom and she gave it to him to make an idol. Okay, so it's a pretty fair size idol. Uh, all of his other idols, his priests, have all been stolen. Okay. Uh, now, even at that, if I was Micah, I might be wondering, if my gods aren't strong enough to protect themselves, why should I be going after them? You know, but nobody ever seems to think about this. When their idols are beat and, and or destroyed, they don't usually end up thinking, well, my God wasn't strong enough in the first place. All right? Um, in the book of Samuel, when we get to that, we're going to see that the Ark of the Covenant is stolen because it was going out as a good luck charm in a battle, and they lost the battle, and they conquered it to the Philistines, and the Philistines put it in the temple of Dagon. And they come in the next morning into the temple of Dagon, and Dagon, the idol, has fallen flat on his face in front of the, of the ark. So they say, okay, well, we gotta prop up, we have to prop up Dagon. So they put all these ropes and, and stuff around him to keep him, keep him propped up, and the next morning they come in, and the, and the uh, idol of Dagon is, has fallen on his face and his arms are off and his head's off and everything. You know, he's, he's in a bunch of pieces. Nowhere in this story do they think Dagon is worthless. Their attitude is, let's get rid of the ark and put it someplace else. 
But you know, that's the story that we see so often in the scriptures. Okay, we talked about this in the 10 plagues that hit Egypt. I've described that and many others have described that as a war of the gods. Each one of the plagues was against one or more of the gods of Egypt. Okay, they worshiped the Nile. What did God do? He turned it into blood. Okay, they worshiped Ra, the sun god. What did God give them? Three days without sunlight. Okay, you know, they worshiped all these idols and, and gods, and God says, let me show you how strong your gods are. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attack each one of them, and your god's going to have nothing to say about it. When we have an idol, whatever our idol might be that we place before God, even as Christians, we don't realize how worthless that idol is. Okay, uh, whether it be money or work or power or entertainment or television or movies or books or whatever it might be, we never really realize how worthless that idol is in our life. And all we go, and I've talked about it many times, you'll, you'll sit down, I'm, gonna, I'm only going to watch the news on TV. And six hours later, you're turning the TV off and you go, well, I just didn't have time to read my Bible. I didn't have time to, to pray. I didn't have time to go out and and witness to other people, and it's like, okay, how much time did you give to your idol? Whatever that idol might be. And it couldn't be hobbies. There are people that will spend that kind of time with their hobbies and tell you, I didn't have time for God. Didn't have any time to give to God. Micah chases after him, he catches up with him and says, hey, you've taken away my gods, which, you should look at this, he says, you have taken away my gods, which I made. <laughs> okay. This just blows my mind every time I read these, these statements. You've taken away the God I have made. Isaiah has a section in there where it says, listen to this crazy story. You go into the woods, you cut down a tree. You cut the tree in half. You cook with half of it you cook your food on. With the other half, you, you make an idol and you bow down and worship and say, this is my God. All through these things, People create their own gods and never seem to realize this is what they worship. In this case, Micah understood he made this god. But he, he still doesn't recognize that the god is worthless. Okay? He made the god, but he, and he understands he made the god, but he doesn't understand that the god is worthless. And this is a very bizarre thing to me. Do we recognize that God is to be number one in our life and most important? And I'm sure Micah probably had God also in his, in, his, in his thought processes. And this is even sadder when people put a whole bunch of gods together. You know, well, uh, God, I, you, I know you say and you promise a bunch of things, but just in case you're not good enough, I'm going to have these other gods. And this is why God says you will have no other gods before me or even next to him. You know, he says no graven images, no gods, because he is God. And anytime we put in our mind that anything else can be God or should be God or spend all of our time with in that area, we're making bad decisions and making decisions that will hurt us in the long run. Uh, we talked Sunday about truth. God says, I am truth. Follow me. And so many times we'll follow just about anything but the truth. 
Okay, we'll be reading our Bible and, and saying, okay, God, oh yeah, God, I see that, but I'm going to ignore it. Uh, God, I see that, but God, you know, if you, you just knew what I was going through, so I'm going to ignore it. Uh, God, I know you say do this, but uh, God, you, you, know, <laughs> you know, we say, but God, a lot in our lives. And we may not be bold enough to say it that way, but really what we're doing when we turn away from it and ignore it, don't obey him, we're saying, but God, if you only understood, if you only understood my life, God, you'd understand that your, your ways just don't work. Just don't work for me. And we go the wrong way, and we make all kinds of problems, and God goes, well, are you ready yet to, to come back to what I told you to do in the first place? Are you ready yet? And we come back to what he says to do, and he goes, now, let me show you what happens when you're obedient. You know, and we see this you know, all the time. God says he wants a tithe of our, of our possessions, and we go, oh, go, no, God, you know, I don't make enough money. I can't give you a tithe. And God says, okay, well, that's your business. The, the moth and the rust and the, corrupt, the corruption, you'll put your money as in, in Micah. Uh, Micah, he says, you, or Malachi, he says, you put your money in bags with holes in it, you know, and we lose it. And finally, eventually, we give in to God, and it's amazing how much we get blessed and we find the special deals and things happen in our processes. God says, I've got a blessing for you. Love God above all others, and there's a blessing. To honor and to forgive other people gives you a great blessing. You know, the peace that passes understanding, when we understand that God is in charge, and if we bend our life and our will to his, his will, there is so much blessing and so much peace that comes with that. Because God will never send things in our way that are not going to be for good. He's never going to send things into our way that will not be rewarded at least in heaven. Even if it's not rewarded on this earth, and you know what, most of what I've gone through has been rewarded on earth as well. And I don't know, maybe there's things that haven't been rewarded that I'm not aware of, but you know when your focus is on God, how much do you really pay attention to all the things that aren't working the way you think they should work? Now, in my life, when I focus on God, I don't notice all the other garbage going on around me. Because I'm going, okay, God, show me what you want me to see. Help me keep focused. And I love the story. Peter gets out of the boat because he says, God, if, if it's really you, call me out there. And he says, come. As long as Peter's eyes were on Jesus, he walked on the water. As soon as he looked at the waves and the wind and said, what am I doing out here? I can't walk on the water. He sunk. You know, when he, as soon as he said, I can't do this, and it doesn't say he did, but that's exactly what he did. Looked at the wind, looked at the waves, and realized, I can't be doing this. And he sank. We do that often in our life. We walk with God, we're walking with God, and all of a sudden we look around and saying, God, I can't walk through the middle of this with you. You know, well, God, what did you put me in? It was fine when we were surrounded by God and, and keeping our focus on him, going through the midst of a storm. Have you ever gone through a part of your life when you've looked back and you go, wow, a lot of things have happened and you didn't notice it because your eye and your sight was focused on God? And you just kind of take a quick look back and go, oh, wow, a lot of stuff's happened. Or people, or usually it's people that tell you about all the bad stuff that's happened in your life. Well, how, how could you get back? You go, this happened and this happened. Did it? I didn't even notice. But, but the whole point is as long as he focused on Jesus, he could walk above the troubles. 
when we focus on Jesus, we walk above the troubles of our life. And like I say, usually it's somebody coming along and they're, and they're good intentioned, but they're going, how did you get through? You know, you had this, that, and the other thing happened, and this happened around you, and this, and, you're, and, you, and I've had times when I'm going, I start thinking, I'm going, oh, yeah, some of that stuff did happen, didn't it? When your eyes are focused on God, he's the one that's protecting you. He is your fortress. He's your buckler. He's your shield. And no storm pounding against him is going to have any effect. Uh, we've, I've shared this before. If you're in the middle of a, of a hurricane or a typhoon, and you're in a building like this that is built out of cinder blocks and, and, and rocks, you don't fear the storm. Now, if you're out there in a tin lean-to in the middle of a typhoon or a hurricane, uh, you're going to be a little fearful, okay? Because that building is not going to last. <laughs> the first puff of wind is going to take that tin, tin building away, and, and then it'll take the frame away, and you will be in danger. When we are hidden in Christ completely, we're protected, and we have nothing to fear. And when our eyes are focused on him, he guides us through the middle of the storm with no problem. Micah is not going to be in that place. And basically, they tell him, you know, let not your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows run upon you and you lose your life and the lives of your household. So in other words, be quiet. <laughs> Quit talking so angrily because somebody might, we got a whole bunch of hotheads here that just stole your gods and, and, we're getting, and we've got them all whipped up for battle against this, against this secure nation over here, people over here. You know, if you speak too loudly, somebody's going to strike, your, you know, strike you dead. And it says that he went away because he saw that they were too strong for him. All right? So he has lost everything. He's lost his gods. He's lost his priest. Everything he's lost, and he goes back to his house. Licking his wounds, not so happy. Verse 27, And they, the Danites, took the things which Micah had made, and the priest which he had, and came to Lahish unto a people that were quiet and secure, and they smote them with the edge of a sword and burnt the city with fire. And there was no deliverance because it was far from Zidon. And they had no business with any man. And it was in the valley that lied, lies by Beth Rehob. And they built a city and dwelt therein. And they called it by the name of the city Dan, after the name of Dan their father, who was born unto Israel. Howbeit the name of the city was Lahish at the first. And the Children of Dan set up the graven image, and Jonathan, the son of Gershon, the son of Manasseh, he and his sons were priests to the tribes of Israel until the day of the captivity of the land. And they set them up, up Micah's graven image, which he had made all the time that was, all the time that was the house of God in Shiloh. All right. So they go in, they've stolen all this stuff from Micah, they hit this poor, poor city of Lahish, which has no, no defense, they were secure, they were living without security, and that's not a good thing anyway, okay? Which is also a point for us as Christians, if we are dwelling in Christ, we are secure. But we should be very careful that we do not let down our guards around spiritual things, because we are in spiritual battle all the time. And what will get us into more trouble than anything else in our life 
is to forget that we're in battle. So they were out there, they attacked this people who were not aware that they were in battle. Because they weren't in battle, they were, they were secure. But you know, we need to be very careful as Christians. We are in battle. We as Christians oftentimes do that. We forget we're in battle, and we take off our helmet, we take off our armor, and Satan says, aha, somebody without protection. And he beats us up royally when we take off our protection and forget that we're in battle. And we need to keep this in battle. We keep our idea that we're in battle. We go to God in prayer. We go and we spend time asking him for direction. We followed his directions because when we think we're at peace, we're in trouble. And that's usually when any of us have fallen. It's when we thought everything was going okay and we let down our guard. Or, and then we let down our guard and we usually put some kind of idol in our life. When I had my time of falling away from God is basically I put an idol in my life. I became a workaholic, working for the company, you know, because the company was going to get me my pay and, my, and everything. And I had all these reasons for doing it. Not that I totally forgot God, but all my life was centered around work. 60, 80 hours a week of work. And God, you know, God being left out and walked away from him. It's so easy to forget God. All of us have probably done it at some point in our life where we've walked away from God and said, God, you know, this is, this is important to me, at least right now. God, it's only temporary. <laughs> it's, it, this is, I'm only putting this God in my life temporary. And yet we find how much time do we waste in our life that could have been given to God. And it's really funny because whenever I hear somebody tell me I, can't, I don't have time to read the Bible, I don't have time to study, if they'll let me, I'll ask them a lot of questions. Well, what did you do yesterday? What did you spend all your, you know, you had 24 hours to spend your day on. What did you do? What, you know, how much television did you watch? How much time did you spend on your hobby? How much time did you, did you spend reading the newspaper in the morning? How much time did you spend at work? And you start analyzing what they've done and where they're at, and it gets, and you start realizing it's not that they don't have time for God, it's that they don't make time for God. And this is so important for us. Do we make time for God? And this is for each one of us. This is why I share. We really need to start our day with reading the scriptures. Whether it's our reading plan or some other reading plan, we spend time in the scriptures reading scripture. We spend time praying. Spend time praising God. Now, the great news is, is when you have hard time doing work and all the other stuff that you think you do because you spent so much time with God. You know, that is a wonderful place to be. I love to just worship God. I love to, to sing, sing praises to God and read the word. Do I do it as much as I should? Absolutely not, but I do it, I do it a lot. But you know, these people fell on a people of peace, killing them, and it says that they set up, they named the city after Dan. You know, there is a, you know, there's, there's stands all over the I Israel. Oh, is it up there? Yeah. Is that far that they went? Yeah. yeah. Yep, you're right. Dan Laish, way up in, in the Dan territory that they take in the north. Uh, I didn't think, it, I didn't recognize it was that far. So they're not quite a ways when they attack these people. Because yeah. they're starting way down. They're going up a day or two's trip. Uh, so, and it says they set up the idols and the teraphim of Micah, and they worship him, 
and they going to and they worship him all the days that the ark was in Shiloh. Okay, which it stayed in Shiloh until David moved it to Bethlehem. All right, which is going to be a few years later after this, but they worship these gods, and even after. The David's reign and Solomon's reign and the kingdom splits are going to get an idol up there as well. And they're going to be given the, a golden idol at that time, but they're already attuned to being idol worshipers. And so we see this whole process. And in, in verse 30 it says, And they set up the sons of Gershom, the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, and he and his sons were priests unto the tribe of Dan. So eventually, they even got rid of the Levite, okay? Because the Levite is not a son of Manasseh, okay? He's a son of Levi. And so eventually, they even get rid of the Levite and, and set up their own priests. And this is the spiral that happens when people start doing things their own way. You start following God. You start watering down God's word and add other things to it. And unless you repent, Eventually, God is pushed out, and God's way is pushed out. And we see this with people who are backslidden. They keep pushing God out, keep pushing God out until God is not part of it. Now, if they were truly Christians, they're still saved, but backslidden. If God was just a part of their life, but not really their God, then they, and they're not saved, then they're not even backslidden because they never were anything to be backslidden from. They just appeared to be backslidden. The tribe of Dan never appears to be following God very strongly. They've made decisions all along and to not obey God. And not saying every single one of the Danites were not followers of God because there's always a remnant of their people. But as a tribe, they're going to be known as a, a tribe that doesn't follow God. We need to be careful that we keep God in the forefront of our mind, that we keep him center that we keep his word centered, that we keep him centered, because it is so easy to follow the path of the Danites and make choices that aren't godly and, and, and see where they end up leading. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to look at this chapter. Lord, help us to make decisions that will follow you and, and keep you centered in our life and make you the number one in our life. And we just ask you to guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.